0: everybody i am here with thomas dady somebody who just posted a video on social media recently that got me really excited uh so i wanted to ask that you come here and kind of hang out and have a chat about the very cool thing that you showed off how are you doing hey thank you for inviting me yeah i'm doing good um so i guess would you want to give a description of what this is because i might paint the wrong picture and I, i feel like it might be better if you just explain it in your own words to start
1: yeah. Okay. Um, so I, uh, this is basically an open source CRT monitor is what I've been calling it when I've been demoing it. Um, it's also otherwise maybe better known in the arcade community as a CRT chassis, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit of a confusing name because is many people when they see chassis, they think of like a metal box. Right. They a, think of
0: how you would mount it, port. not what drives it, you know, so,
1: um, but yeah, so the, the circuit is basically a, uh, 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 a bunch of parts that drive the CRT tube. So you basically take a CRT tube and a yoke, and that is all you need, and you attach my circuit to the rest of it, and it drives the tube from an input source.
0: So um, is this something where if people, if we come up with a list of compatible tubes, people could do something like find a consumer-grade TV, find an arcade monitor, find anything that's compatible, and just ditch the, the guts that come with it and connect yours in its place?
1: Correct. Um, so the, the the kind of the original motivation was uh, was for arcade purposes. There's a lot of TVs that have similar or identical tubes um, to arcade monitors, um, but uh, they aren't uh, compatible for various reasons. Um, uh, there are mods you can do to take an existing chassis and add RGB inputs, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that doesn't always solve problems like having you no know, geometry adjustments, uh, sync adjustments, um, potentially higher scan rates. Uh, so I kind of wanted to, and also was just curious how the the, the technology worked. And so I thought I would design my own um, with a, kind of the initial goal of working on arcade monitors. But um, it's uh, the design itself is pretty universal. It will run in pretty much any tube. I've been testing it on a little 9-inch um, studio monitor style tube. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's a lot easier to deal with on my workbench mostly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. A lot less, uh, a, a weighs a lot less, just a, a lot less of everything when you're doing the design. So I totally get that. Um, so for this, is there a size, um, limit or, or anything that you could hook it up to? Cause like, I just picked up a, a gorgeous 36 inch TV with all the inputs, but what if it was one that only had RF? Would I be able to pull that board out and install yours instead?
1: Um, Yes, you would because the only thing you're using is you're using the the glass, you know, the 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 CRT tube itself, the glass envelope, right, with the pins on the back, and you're using the original yoke, Um, so the windings that do the horizontal and vertical deflection. Um, So the um, the inputs to that tube are always are red, green, and blue, right? So the the, whatever the original signals were, it took does not matter, Hmm. um, because I'm driving uh, red, green, and blue. So if, if actually if you want, I can give you a brief summary of all the different components of Uh, the board. I I would love that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, um, let me, uh, see if I can actually show you a part of it. Um, actually, let me show you my little, uh, a demo, uh, right here. Reach over and grab it. But this is basically the demo I showed at, um, BCF West, which was a, uh, Uh, a couple of months ago, a uh, uh, kind of vintage computer festival. Um, But I have a little clear monitor right here. This is my uh, uh, demo.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: Just uh, clear. And so if you look at it, you will see, uh, sorry for the reflection, there is a backboard that is attached to the back of the neck. And then the yoke is that center part that is around it. That's kind of shielded.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then there's the rest of the tube. And then there's a little red wire there that's the anode cap. So... um, all of those things need to be driven. So on the back of the tube, they have all those little pins that come out. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the red, green, and blue channels. And so uh, to, to handle RGB, what I have to do is I have to amplify the you know about one volt peak to peak of a normal uh, RGB signal up to about, uh, depending on the monitor, uh, about 100 to two, one, uh, 200 volt swing. So it's also inverted. So you'll drive... Um, um, for example, it'll be uh, 180 volts will be fully black and zero volts will be fully white. Hmm. Um, or full, you know, in you know, a color monitor for each of the channels. So that's one of the, the steps I have to do. Um, and so because that's all in my control, that's why I can do RGB input. I can also do any other. I could do a composite decoder if I wanted. I could do, a, you know, any S-Video, whatever I wanted, as long as I it's converted to RGB at the final end. Um, so for that circuit... Um, I actually, on my current demo that I've been doing, um, I've been using uh, 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 a circuit that's based off of an Anau MS9, which is a common arcade chassis mm-hmm. um, that does that basically does the color controls and like the overall brightness and, and contrast settings. And then I'm using the original neckboard board um, because you need that you need a physical socket that plugs in. Mm -hmm. I've generally found that almost all original neckboards have very, very similar circuits on them. They do the final stage of amplification from about, like, a couple volts peak to peak up to the 180 volts. And so I currently plug into that neckboard, uh, and I use its final stage of amplification to go the rest of the way. Um, uh, And they almost all have very similar pinouts, and, like, it's very easy to adapt them. Um, There's no reason I can't drive directly to the pins either without having a neckboard. Um, but you would I, you, at that case, you do have to construct a, a socket that fits. So it's kind of easy just to reuse. Usually, if you're tearing apart a TV or something, you at least have that PCB mm-hmm. that you can reuse and reuse its original socket. Um, so that's uh, that's what how I do all of the the colors. Um, but there's a a lot of other stuff that I have to do too. Um, uh, also on those pins, there's the heater. So the heater is um, what basically uh. Uh, emits the electrons. So the whole idea of a CRT is you're taking the uh, 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 the, the cathode, uh, which is what's being controlled by those uh, red, green, and blue things, and you're heating it up with the heater so that it emits um, electrons. And those electrons get flung to the front of the screen and hit it and then it get turned to light by a phosphor. So um, I have to heat up the heater. The heater is really easy. It's just a 6.3 volt um, DC source usually. Um, so a simple regulator does that. Um, if I'm using the existing deck board, I have to give the power supply to its amplifiers on there, which is, again, usually 180 volts or so. Um, for my little one here, it's more like 120 volts. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it for the uh, pins on there. Oh, and there's, uh, there's focus and screen voltages, or, which are fixed DC voltages. Um, so the focus is what, what, uh, the knob on the flyback that lets you kind of change the focus if you've uh, ever tried to tune one. And then screen... Uh, is like a, a basically a, a global cutoff control, so it controls the black level of the entire tube. So Interesting. that's you know, a, a lot of the components just for that part, and that's you know, the, what I, what I drive from the, um, the back of the CRT.
0: So, one of the things that I'd heard a couple times over the years was like people would get um, arcade machines that would have the wrong chassis in it, or the, somebody would do a tube swap, and I would hear it's the wrong chassis for that tube but I never really understood the difference in that. Um, is, so it, which is why I was so excited when I saw that yours was kind of universal. Uh, do you know how that would apply to this situation? Like, why would some yep. not work with others correctly? I mean, it works, but, you know, not really.
1: Yep, so so there, there's a, there's there's some basic to very complicated things. Um, so the basic ones is maybe that pinout on the back is different or has a different physical socket, and that mm-hmm. would make it not work at all. Um, fortunately, almost all... Uh, like mid to large size arcade tubes and TVs have the same socket. I'm not sure if it, I don't know exactly what the history of that socket is, but they basically all standardize in the same socket. So many times you can just plug in anything onto that back socket and it just mostly works. Um, you might need to do some color and brightness adjustments, but it, it kind of, uh, 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 they tend to be very similar. The part that is very different is the yoke. Um, so... I didn't, I didn't talk about this yet, but one the next thing I have to do on this now that I'm, you know, those electrons and I can vary the electrons up and down for red, green and blue separately, is I know I have to, uh, um, as they're traveling towards the front of the screen, I have to deflect them. So there's a horizontal and vertical winding that basically moves it up and down and left and right. Um, and this is actually a very difficult job. So for up and down, uh, it's very, uh, it's a little bit easier because up and down is very slow. It's 60 times a second. Mm -hmm. Right for uh, a sixty frames per second video or sixty fields interlaced, Um, so that is actually driven with a circuit that looks a lot like an audio amplifier. Just uh, you, you, I put in a a soft tooth waveform. In fact, in software, I just synthesize a soft tooth waveform, much like you'd like synthesize for an audio signal, Um, and that gets amplified, um, and through my audio amplifier, and then it drives the vertical windings like there were speaker coils, and Mm -hmm. that just springs goes up and down. And that's like really nice because I can do things like in software I can change the shape of that sine wave so in, or square uh, sorry sawtooth so instead of being flat I can bend it like this or like this, and I can fix the geometry in the top or the bottom so I you can get uh, like pin not pin cushion controls but uh, linearity controls, wow um, that... and also vertical size and position of course are done the same way which is by moving that waveform around.
0: That's interesting. So with this if you're having a problem with an arcade machine that has fold over uh, which I think you showed in your uh, in your video when you kind of turned yep. the knob too far. Uh, would this yep. replacing it with yours fix that?
1: Yep, the fold over is um, pretty much always a uh, issue with the original chassis. So the um, having the if the chassis is driving the vertical too, weak for, too weakly for some reason, it won't reach. Basically, it scans from top to bottom, and it has to go back up to the top really quickly. Mm-hmm. and if it doesn't get to the top fast enough because the drive is too weak then you'll see fold over because it'll start drawing as it's still coming back to the top um so that's when i turn my power my voltage down it slowly you know get has less and less power to drive the vertical and once i get too little it can't reach the top quickly enough interesting so this whole um that's always a property of chassis if you simply fix the chassis you would also fix the fold over.
0: That's Um, what I thought. And I had the mini arcade machine. You could kind of see blurry in the background. I had a couple of those that um, one of them had it worse than the other, but I wasn't able to fill the screen on all four sides. And if I did, it would fold over on the top. And it was I I tried um, I tried using arcade boards with the HV centering controls. I tried recapping it. I tried changing the values of some of the caps. And I just ended up giving up. And I, I really wish <laughs> I really wish yours was uh, invented then, because I would have just never bothered in the first place. <laughs> yep,
1: um, and that is one of the limitations of mine. Uh, the basically I have power limitations, and so I can only drive up to a certain height before you will get fold over. So depending on how the the CRT is constructed, and also how the windings of the yoke are constructed, um, if you use one that requires too much power, I won't be able to crank it all the way. Um, I've tried to design mine so that um, it uh, my kind of goal is a 20 a 29 inch tube is is what i've been you know uh, it's really approximate because there's many many like it's a 29 inch tube isn't enough to identify a tube there's many different uh uh details mm-hmm. um in the tube design that would change this but um i've designed to generally have the the power of it um for deflection be enough to drive at least a 29 inch tube
0: so um, uh that would actually power like a a sega astro city cab or like a candy exactly, cab or something yep. like that that's exactly. pretty good because there's a whole bunch of those going around now where i guess people had gotten a hold of them and they had taken the best ones and sold those and now all that's left is the broken ones and people are selling the broken ones but that means you have to disassemble it recap the entire chassis so you have to probably make your own capitalist in some some of these concern or in some of these situations, and then you get it all back together. And what if you found out it was the wrong chassis? You have fold over, you have issues, and I just think everybody in that situation would rather say, "I'm going to put that in a box in my garage and then go buy a new one," where I know that it's the, you know I'm not going to waste a day of my life just to find out it's not going to work anyway.
1: Yeah, so. Um, the, in fact, that the was the kind of like being able to uh, replace an AstroCities monitor with a, a TV tube that mm-hmm. has had uh, far, far less hours on it. And then with my chassis, would be a, a great application that I'd like to enable at some point.
0: That's awesome. Um, now, you had mentioned this was open source, but do you plan on manufacturing and selling these?
1: Um, I don't know yet. Um,
0: the It is all open source.
1: Um, you, you could build one right now. I really don't recommend it in its current state. It is a... Mm-hmm. Uh, very experimental, uh, uh, examples of things. It, do, it doesn't have a lot of, uh, self protection. So on a, for example, if, if something were to fail in the software, it would stop deflecting and it would just aim at the center and it would burn a dot in the center of your, your tube. Oh. So, um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I've yet to probably, uh, for like a TV style tube, it wouldn't burn it immediately. Um, but, um, uh, there's a lot of things that a real monitor has that uh, are, are things to basically uh, make sure it fails in a nice, uh, you know, uh, 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 you'll see a lot of chassis will, when they, something fails, they will like turn off right away or they'll like make some clicking noises as they turn off, start up and then they turn off. That's because the chassis has its, a bunch of self-protection to turn off before anything goes seriously wrong. And uh, that's one thing that I don't have. Um, likewise, uh, all of my current revisions, all of my circuit boards have errors. Um, so I've done a lot of rework on a lot of them. Um, here's an example of what I've been working on recently, um, and you can see I have lots, lots of uh, uh, fixes done on it already. So um, if you, um, if you were to make a circuit on my designs right now, you would have to do the same bodges. Um, as far as productizing it, um, I haven't really decided yet. Uh, the um, there is still a lot of difficulty it's not a drop in replacement right now for anything. there's a lot of tuning. Um, there's a uh, uh, and uh, I'm not sure also I need to make sure it's you know a reasonable cost. so um, it's something i' I haven't you know decided one way or the other yet. Um, i I'm, my current goal is to get everything working really, really well first because hmm. um, uh, uh, I still have some things that are unsolved. um besides of course the the self-protection uh, because it's Currently, a, a, a hobby project doesn't need that. Um, likewise, there's, a, um, for example, the RGB circuit on it. As I said, that was based on an MS-20, uh, uh, sorry, an MS-9. And um, that means I'm using chips from an MS-9 that are no longer obtainable. So I've been solely working on, that's, uh, I think, the last chip on there that's not currently in production. And so I have a, this, this, what I was showing here, is actually a replacement uh, of the RGB circuit that uses all in-production chips, like mo- modern uh, 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 video amplifiers and the like on it, um, and no um, no vintage uh, old stock chips.
0: So, so, when you say the RGB circuit, you're talking about the amplification from the standard, you know, 0. 0.714 to the exactly. voltage? Exactly.
1: Okay. If you look at this board, it's got a VJ connector on one side, um, it's got a connector on this side that goes to the neck board of the CRT, and it's got some extra connectors for other signals. For example. I take sync out of here and it gets put over to the deflection board. Likewise, there's some signals that come back in. For example, when I do have better uh, software protections, there's signals on here that tell it to blank, um, so uh, the forced image to be black. Um, and there's other signals on here, for example, uh, uh, for uh, various sync processing, uh, mostly. So uh, it's kind of I've I originally started with the big circuit board, but I've started to split it up into kind of sections so I can iterate. I can iterate just the RGB section individually or just a deflection part separately.
0: Okay. Um, so I wanted to, to put out a hypothetical, but I also wanted to just politely remind you and everybody else that the, the people that are generally listening to this are used to listening to things about beta projects, things in progress, things that you can't buy now or, you know, or work in progress. So I I don't want you to feel like you have pressure of, you know, what a product might not even an unfinished product is now because i know it might change and all that stuff and heck there's also a bunch of really amazing nerds that are listening that might even be able to help but in the hypothetical that this was today ready and you know in a a working state for let's just say you determined a handful of crts what would what would installation be like and once again i know everything might change but just you know just to walk us through that
1: yeah so um the, what I've kind of striven to do is make it sufficiently universal that uh, for example for a very common monitor type like um, like an ms9 tube um, or or similar like to shiba tubes of the same variety um, you would basically uh, you would have a wiring harness that goes between the tube and my board that is is configured for that particular pinout um, and then you would need to do uh, a bunch of software calibration that tells it um, the width, so so my my width and height controls, for example, are much more extreme than a normal monitor. It's like a normal monitor has a nice you know 50% range. Mine will let you crank it down from like you know a narrow strip to like you know way too wide, um, because it doesn't know what the monitor is by default. So hmm. you would need to uh, calibrate limits in and tell it you know what um, what actual range you want for your your the human accessible controls. Um, you'd also have to. Uh, Uh, can set up all linearity and uh uh uh, geometry adjustments just on a a more extreme level because you're uh you're calibrating to a brand new tube um some of this actually because it's software could be distributed as a pre-calibrated that's exactly just just about
0: to ask and that as the community starts testing then if we say okay i have you know uh a JVC 27-inch TV, You know, here's the tube model, uh, here's this software package you could upload to get you started, and so that way you just have to tweak some knobs for some basic settings, you don't have to do the whole thing. So that's awesome.
1: Exactly. So I've tried to make everything uh, controllable from software for that reason. Um, there's actually a serial port on it and a little uh, GUI that I can talk to right now that uh, has the knobs and everything for it. Um, so... Uh, you could load a JSON profile, for example, from that, or you know maybe I'd put an SD card or something on in the future. I'm not, you know, that that part is not figured out. Um, but I, I've tried to keep everything. I, I don't want to be, you know, uh, it's in theory a no soldering required adjustment. Um, some of the things I'm working on, like the the amplifier, um, uh, the a vertical amplifier, currently has uh, it has feedback, and that feedback path needs to be modified for a particular winding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so. I'm working on moving that into a digital feedback path rather than an analog feedback path, so I can increase the number of things that are software controlled hmm. for, for this exact reason. Um, likewise, I, my RGB circuit you see know, has a bunch of knobs. It's all it's all physical knobs that are analog. A future version might con- switch more of these to digital controls, um, depending on what I you know what ranges I need to do, um, and if I if it's important to like cap the contrast ranges, I, I might do that. Um, uh, on the other hand there is some you know for, for at least the rgb circuit in particular there's a, a nice simplicity in having it a pure analog path um and uh uh, uh so that part might be the only part that remains uh, just a pure pure knobs and not software controlled
0: and there's no buffering involved in all of this right so it doesn't buffer a frame in order to make these changes it does it in real time nope. so light guns nope, would still work. A... all that stuff
1: exactly um it works just like a normal crt circuit um the, uh, all of this, there's really not, uh, the, the, the RGB is really the simplest part. Um, there's very little that happens. Um, it goes in from one side, um, there's a, this is actually mostly power supply circuit here, and then you have, a, a overall, uh, gain and bias adjustment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, or otherwise known as contrast and brightness. And then you have a adjustment for each of the three channels. And those are all just, uh, uh, you know, adding or multiplying, by the signal. And then it just goes straight out, and then it goes to the board, uh, the neck board, which brings it to higher voltage, and that's it. So there's there's pretty much no um, it's, it's an entirely analog path. There's no uh, frame buffer, line buffer, anything. Um, that's actually I have considered doing some sillier ideas, like doing if you had a line buffer, you could do horizontal convergence in software hmm. by intentionally uh, resampling and delaying the red, green, and blue separately. You could do something. You know, if you're willing to tolerate a digital line buffer. Um, You can do some funny stuff that, uh, 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 that wasn't done on most um, CRTs when they were in, still in production.
0: So a digital line buffer would have to buffer a certain amount of lines before sending it to the CRT. So it's not a full frame of latency, like 16.5 milliseconds on NTSC. Yeah. It's it'd probably be like four to eight milliseconds or something, right? Exactly, right, or even smaller. It
1: just has to have enough latency so it can has that latency to adjust the position of the red. It would be one line of latency if you want to do only horizontal convergence. If you want to do vertical convergence, you need a amount of delay needed to do the uh, convergence adjustment you needed, which would probably be a couple lines.
0: Um, I'm sure everybody uh, the, at home is, is about to ask the same question that I'm going to interrupt you and ask. Does this mean that you could do something like uh, have the screen rotated... So that you could just keep, uh, you know, a four by three screen in normal orientation and have a tate mode, vertical oriented, sitting in the middle of it.
1: So, um, the, so if you had like a full frame buffer, right, you could do frame buffer rotation. But I'm sure that's not what people want. They they want to actually scan or monitor monitor the other direction. And yeah. so the the answer is sadly no, um, because uh, it's because of a reason I haven't touched on yet. So I have described how the vertical works and how I can just do the sawtooth waveform. And in fact. The vertical circuit is also very similar to what a vector monitor does. Hmm. Um, so I could actually, uh, with my current vertical circuit, I could do things. Like I could scan from bottom to top instead. I could hmm. scan in arbitrary orders. You want to like, you want you want to uh, make a, a a really silly arcade game that draws different parts of the screen in different orders instead of top down. You can totally do that. Um, but um, horizontal is a different matter. Um, horizontal is way way more specialized. Uh, and this is this is actually one of the more difficult parts of the the chassis um, that uh, took me a lot of time to work on. Is one of the reasons why you don't see multi-sync and you know uh, chassis more often. Um, so the horizontal also works the same way. And it has windings. And you're going back and forth, um, but you're doing it way 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 faster. So uh, a vertical is sixty hertz. Horizontal is fifteen kilohertz, for example, for for two forty p, or it'd be thirty one kilohertz for four eighty p. Um, and that's fast enough that the amount of energy, because uh, these, are, these, are, these are physical wire windings, and a wire winding has inductance. Um, just like a, you know, here, here's an, a, a little small inductor. This inductor has the same inductance as the windings of a yoke. So I use this actually as a simulant of the yoke when I don't want to actually run the whole tube. Um, but um, this stores energy in its magnetic field. And if you were to use a, a linear uh, amplifier, just a plain amplifier that drove it back and forth, um, uh, you end up throwing away all of the energy that's stored in this on one side and as you retrace back to the next line um, and that energy is significant. I think I did the calculation at a, a VJ resolution it would be over a kilowatt of power would be dissipated purely in the amplifier um, which is why no TV actually does this except with, with the notable exception of extremely early uh... uh, 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 uh vacuum tube TVs and the, hmm. the black and white tube days the, the really when they would have really really long tubes in a cabinet mm-hmm. um, maybe the tube which they would face upwards and you of a mirror um, they had a very very long deflection path and they could do that um, but obviously having a really long tube that gives you a four inch picture is not what we want nowadays <laughs> so um, they had to come up with a solution really fast and so I use a solution that uh, pretty much every other TV chassis does um, is that they at the end of a scan line um, you will have uh, a certain amount of current. Um, I should also note that a current equals deflection. So uh, on like a big 29-inch TV, if you put 2 amps into the yoke, you'll be on the right side. If you put negative 2 amps, you'll be on the left side. If you're at 0 amps, you'll be in the center. So at 2 amps, uh, on, the, on the right side, I'll have a ton of energy. And I'd like to actually take it out and then reverse it, and I could put it back in so I can take that because uh, uh, an inductor and energy is proportional to current. So I'd like to take that energy out store it and then put it back in um, and bring bring it but at, at opposite polarity. And so the solution to that is we have an extra energy storage element, which is a capacitor. It looks usually a lot like this, this film cap right here. Um, and so we basically dump all of the energy out of our uh horizontal yoke into this capacitor temporarily during the retrace as we go back to the other side of the thing, and then we all the energy comes back out of the capacitor into the yoke. And so in, instead of wasting energy as heat, we conserve it. Um, and this design is basically used by every TV from uh, the 1950s onward. Um, I that the that was a little the bit single wrong, but... best
0: description anybody has ever given me about how the, some of the capacitors inside a TV work. That is very cool. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, my, the, uh, my circuit does the same thing that everyone else has done with that same exact circuit. And... Unfortunately, that means because that circuit is highly specialized, you can't switch it between the vertical and horizontal easily. It's kind of hardwired to the horizontal. Um, it's likewise actually hardwired to go in only one direction. It does that energy recovery on the right side and it jumps back to the left. And so it's also hard to do a horizontal flip on that for the same reason. Hmm. Um, you can do it with like a higher level. I could have like relays that switch the wires back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mean it's, you know, there if you want to do, for example, name code rotation, it's a. Uh, it doesn't make it any easier than it would be normally, so so that is the the one limitation of my uh, uh, driver that's kind of very raster specialized.
0: Interesting. Now, um, you mentioned different frequency signals. So when I first saw this, I just assumed that fifteen kilohertz signals would be compatible because you know that's what yep. most TVs are. But I, I demoed
1: my video as a fifteen kilohertz signal, so
0: right. That's a good hint. And um, yep. but could you add? Uh, you know. 31 kilohertz vga support through this
1: yes um so what i've done is uh uh the whole horizontal signal is purely generated in software uh via a, a microcontroller timer mm-hmm. and so i can set that to anything i can go i can ramp it from anywhere i want so i can go you know down to a kilohertz i can go up to you know 100 kilohertz um however that sounds way too be good to be true and it is um there are some limitations on that uh Basically, if you go too low of a frequency, the energy storage parts here don't work very well. They have to be tuned a little bit. Um, So I I generally don't run it below fifteen. You could probably go as low as twelve if you wanted to make a Game Boy CRT or something. Um, But uh, 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 the uh, uh, and going higher is is relatively easy. But you do run into this issue where um, uh, you're you need to when you're jumping from the the right back to the left you have to jump faster, um, because higher frequency uh, scan light rates usually also have a shorter retrace period. So there's a the period where it's jumping from right back to left to start a new line is shorter. And so it requires, uh, a, uh, ultimately, to do that, it requires a higher voltage. Hmm. So on this on this capacitor, it's a, a film cap. The reason it's a film cap is because this energy retrace uh, energy uh, is stored in this at a low capacitance but a very high voltage. So for example, on my TV here, um, at a full raster width, it's about 900 volts on the capacitor. Hmm. Um, And if I were to have the retrace time, I would need twice the voltage. I would need 1,800 volts on the capacitor. Um, And so ultimately, if you uh, need a too long of a retrace, uh, as you need your retrace time to shrink, you need a higher, higher, higher voltage. So this capacitor has to be rated higher. Your uh, uh, horizontal output transistor has to be rated higher. And so I eventually hit this voltage limit Um, on my particular chassis. I have designed it to be uh, I have a 1700 volt maximum, um, which uh, ultimately means because most TVs were designed for about a um, about a thousand volt peak on that particular circuit, um, because I've bumped it up to about 1700 volts with newer uh, uh, parts, uh, I can usually. Just squeeze by doubling. So a 15 kilohertz uh, monitor I originally ran at 15 kilohertz can usually work fine at 31 kilohertz. Be- I, I don't quite double the voltage, but because uh, because you have a little bit of leeway in that retrace time, um, I can use up that leeway and uh, I can basically bring take a 15 kilohertz tube and yoke combination and make them a 31 kilohertz monitor. And likewise, I could probably take a 31 kilohertz monitor and make it a a, you know, a 62 kilohertz monitor, though I've not tried anything higher than 31 yet.
0: That is fucking um, magic. So, <laughs> so the explanation yeah. I was given a million times, uh, which now sounds like it's only half right, is that when you're going, when you're taking a tube uh, and adding a higher resolution to it, so just going from, you know, 240p to 480p or, you know, 480i, obviously, the, uh, the two things that were needed were... A different power supply. So you just perfectly explained that with the voltage limits and the transistor and everything. But I was also told that the windings need to be different on the tube. And I never understood why. Is that just not true or is that?
1: Um, that is true. Um, the, the 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 more windings, basically, basically the more windings you have on the yoke, that higher that voltage is that gets stored on this capacitor. Um, so the way that a, a TV so I I've solved this problem by increasing the voltage I can store on the capacitor and on the, the all the electronics that touch that capacitor but another way you can do that is by changing the winding such that it generates less of a voltage during retrace so so if, if uh if I was limited to lower voltage parts I would have to do a rewind but I've avoided having to rewind it because I can use um I, I basically upped the voltage rating of all of my parts. So you're, you're um, just compensating
0: than... for the wiring on your chassis with the voltage parts and stuff like that.
1: Exactly. Um, one thing I've had to do to this is uh, uh, that uh, it's pretty easy to find capacitors of higher voltage rating, but one thing that is not is uh, horizontal output transistors. Those are traditionally BJTs, um, which are something I can still purchase. You can still buy horizontal output transistors made in 2021, which is pretty cool. Um, but what I chose to do instead is... Uh, use a silicon carbide MOSFET mm-hmm. instead, which is a totally different type of transistor, which I can get at higher voltage ratings. Um, and it's also more efficient. It doesn't even like, my mine gets maybe, re- raises one C above ambient temperature when it's running. It doesn't need a heat sink, it's extremely wow. cold. Um, and it's a technology that didn't exist at the same time that CRTs were made, right? It, it, it first entered mass production in kind of like the 2012, 2013 range, which is already lit, long past, you know, yeah yeah so um, I'm kind of using a, a anachronistic technology, uh,
0: but so um, might as well. so would that also mean that if somebody had I'm looking over there because I just picked up two giant VGA monitors, uh, so if somebody has just like your old school pc VGA monitor uh, and you switched over to this chassis, it could now do 15 kilohertz. it could do the opposite, right?
1: Um, yes, exactly. You could it's it actually much easier to other directions. So taking a, a VGA, you know, taking an FW900, for example, and running it, uh, I would recommend doing this because FW900 has a really nice chassis to start with. Yeah. But um, you could take like a VGA PC monitor and drive it at 15 kilohertz. Um, and that's actually a much easier thing to do than driving because all the voltages just go down then and it's actually much easier on electronics.
0: That's pretty awesome. Um, so that that's actually now a, a really, really good reason uh, you know, because I I always tell people if you have the ability to grab a VGA CRT monitor, do it. You could, you know, there's a million different things you could do with it. But now this is also pretty incredible because it allows that functionality that you couldn't have done before. But because it's already there, then there's no worries just using 480p. But if it's already a monitor that can do up to 1024 by 768, that means you should be able to do things like um. You know, like slightly higher resolutions, like widescreen, twelve eighty by seven twenty. You know, like that. Correct, because uh, of the way you have the voltage running. Yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: Um, there, there is actually one other uh, slight complication, um, which is the flyback. Um, this is something I've also had to do specially. Uh, there, there's actually two kind of general designs of monitors, which, um, uh. Aren't usually directly apparent, but once you figure, once you once you see them, you'll be able to tell them apart pretty quickly. Uh, the flyback is what generates the high voltage, so that's there's a very very high voltage, um, usually around thirty kilovolts, um, mm-hmm. twenty five to thirty five on the very highest in monitors. That is what provides the acceleration electrons. The electrons get flung by the super high voltage from the cathode onto the screen, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's done with this uh, flyback transformer. Which is uh, just a, a, a enormous step-up transformer with a bazillion windings in it, um, a very very fine wire, and um, this is a, this transformer is really handy because you can also just throw extra windings on it and it produce other voltages. So a lot of very a very common design of TVs is to throw tons of windings on. They'll generate like the heater voltage. They'll generate um, the horizontal deflection. They'll generate. Uh, 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 just like logic supply voltages, what voltages to drive their speaker amplifiers. If there's a speaker in a monitor, um, everything they'll just grab off a winding of a flyback. And that works pretty, that's a very, you know, it's really cheap because TVs were made in the millions and there's just enormous amounts of cost optimization. Um, but, uh, the downside is that makes everything that is now coupled into the single transformer. And especially if horizontals coupled into it, that makes it really hard to switch frequencies. So, um, Monitor designs like the MS8 and MS9 that have switchable frequencies—you'll either you'll have to switch a jumper and they'll change windings on the flyback, or you'll have you'll have some sort of relay, like an MS9 auto switch. and You'll have a clicky clacky relay that clicks when you switch resolutions.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, um, the I didn't do that on mine. What I did instead is I split the flyback off separately. So the flyback is on mine is only responsible for high voltage and nothing else. Which means that that's why I get this extra bit of freedom to control my horizontal however I want. And then the high voltage can be separate however I want. I actually, on my demo, I used the pre existing high voltage circuit rather than my own because it's completely separate. I can just run them separately. Um, just as uh, when I originally ran my demo, because my high voltage wasn't running very well yet at that time. So, so... yours
0: won't do that really loud click when switching resolutions?
1: Nope. Um, it will just uh, uh, vary. And there's other monitors. This is not unique to my chassis by any means, like a uh, uh, MS-2931, which is on like a, a Blast uh, mm-hmm. arcade monitor. Or uh, other examples are like an NEC multi-sync, which you might be able to see in my background if you look close. Um, I had one or, of those. Yeah. Uh, yep, uh, computer monitors. And actually later, like an FW900 is another example of this. Um, or a, uh, later, very, you know multi-sync computer monitors would also split this apart um, uh, and they they don't click either when they switch resolutions generally they might for other reasons but um, they don't need to they have this nicely decoupled high voltage and that lets them have a huge range of uh, uh uh possibilities that's uh and one other thing that you can also tell if a monitor has this style of circuit is it will generally have because the high voltage is totally separate, it can be regulated separately and it'll be extremely well regulated. Mm-hmm. There's a property on a lot of monitors where if the screen gets really bright, um, you get a, a breathing is often the name, but the, the screen gets bigger when you have a, a bunch of brightness and then it shrinks again when you have lower brightness.
0: Yeah, that, it gets um, so that, that pulsating thing to it.
1: Exactly, yep, exactly. So um, that's because uh, as you when you have a really high brightness, high voltage is actually dropping because um, it can't stay in regulation very well. Mm-hmm. And the lower the high voltage is, the more the electrons get deflected. And so they get deflected farther outward, and it becomes bigger. Um, so uh, really high-end monitors that have this uh, split high voltage like I do can really, really precisely regulate that high voltage, and they can totally avoid this effect. Like if you if you look at a blast monitor, you'll see this is vastly reduced. Likely, especially it's important for computer monitors, because computer monitors often display like pages of white and know text on a white background and uh the the breathing would be extremely obnoxious on a computer monitor so um the uh, a lot of computer monitors are designed this way to avoid that entirely
0: yeah it's funny uh, funny you say that because i never really noticed that on computer monitors back in the day but and not even really on the pvms and but whenever i whenever i was using a cheap chassis like that one back there i'd see it a lot more than that than you would ever in any other scenario so that's that's the perfect explanation yep. as to why
1: yep and uh pvms are all over the place in what what method they chose like that if you go into the the, the, the really popular like say like the bvm um 20 f1u series mm-hmm. has them coupled together and it actually does some other it has some other tricks it does to keep the regulation better but it's still not quite as good and then you go up one letter and you get the d20 f1u and they totally change the design and they split them separate um because the d20 f1u adds um, it adds uh, basically HD modes, mm-hmm. um, higher resolutions, and they decided that to make that easier to add, they split it into a separate high-voltage circuit.
0: All of my um, D-series so see... click, by the way. I'm not sure if you uh, if you saw any of the pictures of, of my stuff online, but I got like 25 CRTs sitting next to me, a bunch of BVMs, PVMs, and stuff like that, and uh, the both of my D20s, the D, actually D20 and the D32 definitely make that noise when you're switching resolutions.
1: Okay, yeah, there, there are a couple other reasons you might want to do it. Um, one is that this, this retrace timing capacitor I was showing before, um, that's actually usually swift switched with uh, discrete uh, MOSFETs and not actual uh, relays. But there are sometimes reasons on these different modes you may want to switch other tunings. Um, you may want to switch some of the timing circuits. And so um, I haven't actually looked at the, the, that part of the D20 series. If there's clicks, that's probably what it's from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is it is uh, there's also, of course, the degauss coil, uh, which is probably not what you're referring oh, to. Oh,
0: that's probably what um, I'm hearing then. Oh, okay, yeah. No, now that I think um, about it, it is kind of the same sound. So,
1: um, but yeah, there are uh, there are other parts that are, are relay controlled, but it's not the the flyback winding.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: and other one's like my NEC Multisync will have no clicks whatsoever. They they will. In fact, you can you can. If you, it's hard to find a source that can do this, but you can like linearly vary the frequency upwards, and it'll just adjust themselves to match, which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. Um, uh, but there's, there's other, you know, there's lots of designs. I'm like the, the, the x sixty thousand monitors uh, are also like the NEC multi-sync does 15 to 31
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a nice smooth line. The X68,000 monitors will do 15, 24 and 31, but they're all discrete steps because their design has them coupled and they have to have a relay that switches windings. So they have three steps of, of scan rates rather than a continuous spectrum of scan rates.
0: Interesting. So,
1: yeah, there's a uh, – uh, once, you, once you know what to watch for, you can kind of see what kind of design the monitor is based on its behavior. But it's a um, – I guess it's, it's not widely documented design difference that is in a lot of monitors.
0: That's pretty interesting. It's Somewhat off topic, I get a question all the time about uh, – from people who say, you know, it kind of freaks them out when it, they it switch resolutions and that loud sound happens – And some people say the sound has gotten louder. And I always kind of thought maybe your ambient noise is just down and it's actually the same. But, you know, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, is it, if, do these clicks get louder as these parts wear down over time? And is that a sign of something bad if it's really loud?
1: So relays are mechanical devices. So they are, they have a limited lifetime. And they do have these relays that are on the horizontal circuits and the flybacks do have quite a bit of current on them and voltage. Um, and they're also, um, they're they're switching a not easy signal to switch. Um, like switching an AC waveform is uh, a lot easier than it's ver- like a, a plug um, because the current drops to zero and any arcs can break. Whereas they're switching much higher frequencies that have uh, basically can create bigger arcs in the relay. So the relays have a, a limited lifetime on a CRT. And I don't know if getting louder is a symptom of, is it, I'm not sure if getting louder is a symptom of a relay failing. Um, uh, usually when they fail, they actually just fuse in, in one position and get welded shut or open. Um, but uh, relays are something that will wear out and will need replacing eventually. So um, cool. eliminating them from design is, is definitely a benefit in that too. Um, I do hope also that by having a, a open source design, it's more repairable. So, uh, uh, you know, if... if Ideally, I have no parts that wear out. But if I if I do have parts that are consumables or wear out over time, they should be a lot easier to replace.
0: Hmm. Um, so, now you mentioned it was fairly universal, but does that also mean with Sony's, including Trinitron monitors and stuff like that?
1: Um, so, uh, it's a good question. Um, there are it's fairly universal. There are special things on special monitors that require you know special circuits, basically. So, um, Trinitrons are a good example of one that is a little bit special um the they have a feature called Hstat, um where they have extra plates inside of their uh, uh the electron gun um mm-hmm. assembly and they can do this uh, static convergence adjustment using electrostatic um adjustments to these plates and if i don't have a power supply to drive that um I can't do convergence. So if you, hook up, if you hook up my chassis to a Trinitron, you'd probably not have horizontal convergence adjustment. Um, it would—you could ground that pin, and then you would—you'd have to use like the, the normal rings to adjust horizontal convergence rather than any fancier electronic control. And you might not be able to converge it. For example, i not not—haven't tried it. But that's one feature I know that's absent. Um, it's a pretty easy one to solve, just by adding an extra uh, output on my CRT. But there, there, are, there are probably, when I say, I, it's hard for me to say universal because I've not seen every CRT tube out there. There's yeah. probably similar things. Um, uh, my Currently, I only drive a single focus line. So there are dual focus tubes that have different focus levels on the center and edges of the screen. Mm. And so mine will only drive one of those. And so it will be a constant focus across the screen. Um, so, again, a, a later improvement I could do is have dual focus support.
0: Um, and that's so, something that people see. And please correct me if I'm wrong about this one, because I know enough to get enough to get me in trouble, I guess. But when you see things like a consumer grade TV that has perfectly good focus in the middle, or I guess arcade monitors too, and then it starts to unfocus as it gets to the edges, where you have professional monitors from all brands that all of it's kind of in focus. Is that for the multiple focus rings, or is that uh, different different stuff?
1: Exactly. So. Um, the, the, the geometry of the monitor affects how good the focus is. like uh, a perfectly curved monitor would have perfect focus in theory. Um, but, and it would have to have a really long um, tube. and so you know compromises are made to make the tube shorter and less uh, curved. So that's one of them. Um, so computer monitors usually fix it by having either dual focus where they have a, a separate focus for the center and edges. Or they might have a continuously variable focus, which is some of the very high-end monitors have, where they can adjust their volt their the voltage uh, of their focus pin as it scans, um, so that they okay. can have a a, a, to- a varying focus across the screen, both up down and left right. Um, that's actually a very, um, because uh, the focus is a very high voltage, right? It's on it can be on the order of like four to eight kilovolts and so doing a variable focus is difficult because of the high voltages needed on the, the electronics that touch it um but it is it is a uh, option for really high-end ones you can you know maybe a future version of my chassis could have a variable focus and if it actually had that it would turn any single you could it, it would turn a, a a single focus tube into an infinity focus tube as as uh, it could continuously variable it uh which would be a nice quality upgrade but uh, right now, that's a little bit far in my roadmap. I want to to fix all low-hanging fruit before I, I jump into doing things like that.
0: Yeah, and it's always good to have a version 1 and a version 2 of a product, because if you wait to yeah. version 2, you'll never release version 1. <laughs> so Yeah, this so th-
1: this, this project I've been working on since about 2019, it has taken mm. me a long time to get this far, partly because uh, the documentation for... Uh, there, there's no guide how to design a CRT TV online, there's SAM CRT FAC, um, which I highly, highly recommend. Uh, this this the TV and deflections FAC, as well as uh, the repair of uh, monitors FAC. Um, they were they're, they're immensely useful. There's also lots of application notes um, on it. Um, but it took me, uh, uh, I, looked a lot of, uh, I looked at a lot of existing designs as well for inspiration. Uh, mine is totally unique in its design. It's not really a, a designed off any one tube. But um, that you know, it took me a lot of uh, work on it. Um, it's also a little bit you know difficult to work on in the sense that, uh, um, um, as, as I mentioned before, I should probably mention this. Uh, you, you've heard me say like you know, there's thousand volts on this capacitor, eight thousand volts on the the the, the, the high voltage uh, uh, focus, and so when I work on it, I have to be you know very careful. Um, uh, Sam CRT, in fact, has a good uh, uh, guide on working on safely on CRTs. And so um, it does require me to be more careful than an average project where you, for example, yeah. when you're probing it on a on a, a, a oscilloscope, you always need to set up all of your probes ahead of time, power it on, do your tests, then power it off before you move any probes around or touch anything.
0: Yeah, that's one thing that anybody listening to this channel has heard me say a million times is that like... You, and I always make the same stupid analogy, but I, I'm standing by it and that all of the guides I have on the website and all the things I talk about about modding consoles is perfectly safe. You can't die. The only way you could die modding a console is if you do it in the bathtub or if you get struck by lightning while doing it or something like that. But there is always a chance of death working on a CRT. Always. Now, maybe you fall on top of the power supply and you get stuck to it. Maybe you have a heart problem you didn't realize... Or maybe you just get zapped and it scares the crap out of you and, you know, you wiggle your hand and you're fine, but there's still a chance of death when working on a CRT, and I beat that into people's heads because I just, I want, I don't want anybody just casually sticking a screwdriver around in these things and, you know, getting zapped because I just, you know, I feel like if you understand and appreciate the risk and you fear it, you could probably work on these things safely, but you got to always be terrified.
1: Yep, you have to treat it with respect and understand what uh, um, understand what parts are dangerous, which is most of them, to be honest. <laughs> um, and uh, 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 basically, you know uh, don't 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 skimp on any of the, uh, the the safety steps required to do this.
0: Absolutely. Um, So one of the other things that came up in the past year or so that I kind of get interested in is there was a thread on a forum about increasing the TV line count of a CRT. And at first, all the responses are, that's stupid, you can't do that. And, you know, the person who did it was very patient with people, took the time to describe what they were doing, post, you know, post their results. But it was essentially changing the voltages and stuff so that you could actually see more detail on the screen. So it wasn't, you know, there's there's no pixels on CRTs, so some people were kind of misunderstanding that. But uh, could you potentially use your chassis to hook it up to a tube and get more detail on it?
1: Yeah, so the, I think the mod you're referring to is the G1 mods, um, which basically there's a pin on the uh, the neck of a CRT called G1, which is a one of the grids near mm-hmm. focus. Um I would basically describe its function as uh, if, if uh, compared to photography. In photography, you have uh, you have focus, and you also have an aperture. Mm-hmm. So if you make your aperture smaller, um, you can basically keep more things in focus, right? You have a sharper, defined picture overall. But a smaller aperture lets in less light, and so you have a, a trade-off between a big aperture with lots of light, um, but a very narrow focus range, um, and uh, just generally softer image. Or you have a really small aperture with really tight focus but less light so g1 is basically the aperture of a, of a crt and so by adjusting it you can basically trade brightness for sharpness so a lot of uh, arcade monitors are really on the sharp end so ground g1 make it zero volts hmm. um and that basically is maximum brightness but minimum um sharpness and so by bringing it uh negative you can tr- uh, change that trade off um, and for many, many, many cases, the trade-off uh, is, is for, especially for like home use where you don't need absolute max brightness, um, the, it's a beneficial to bring a negative.
0: Um, you are really good at explaining this stuff because I read every single post in that thread and I never understood it the way I just now am understanding it with the way you're explaining it. You're, you're good at this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, there's actually some examples of, uh, uh, for example, an MS-829, uh, which is a, an older... Uh, uh, chassis and the MS9, a newer chassis that both drive the exact same. The tube is physically the same, mm-hmm. um, but there had been a uh, a rumor floating around a long time that the MS829 was better and sharper than the MS9. And uh, uh, we investigated and we were able to figure out that this is actually because the MS829 drives a negative voltage on the G1 pin and an MS9 drives zero volts. So the MS829 had chosen a different trade off for that. With the exact same tube, so it's kind of interesting to see this has been done, you know, in production at the time before too.
0: Yeah, and I believe it's the same with the Sony BVM E, it versus the F and D series, and that the E's were were advertised as thousand TVL, and the rest were nine hundred TVL, and even though it was the same tube, it had the same sticker, and these aren't tube replacements these are from the factory tube never replaced before you pop the top off and it has the same exact model tube so that must be what they were doing in that is that they just um, they they have a lower voltage going through that to increase the focus but drop the brightness
1: exactly that's that's a very easy tweak to do to do some sort of like a, a product differentiation to make the high end and low end model that's what you could do
0: So that Um, does bring me to something that I've been wanting to ask and I was waiting for the right time to ask it then. A big problem that I constantly run into with older CRTs is is they're actually... I found a lot that are very clear. They don't have any discoloration. They look excellent. But the brightness and contrast have to go all the way to the max for you to see it at a normal... just in a normal environment, you know, with average ambient light. Not in sunlight, but just like your average in a room with the light on. So is there a way through this to somehow increase the brightness or is that just down to the tube itself and there's nothing you could do
1: um so um by increase uh you can increase the high voltage to increase the brightness um but uh that's uh usually inadvisable um because a tube is usually designed for a particular high voltage mm-hmm. um so um by increasing it you basically make it likely there's an arc over inside which would likely destroy the tube um, Another option is to increase your your amplification range on the inputs, which is a uh, often uh, if you hit the limits of the amplifiers on the neck board, you will hit the limits of uh, you will hit those uh, uh, brightness and contrast limits. So potentially by increasing those ranges, um, by using basically a higher voltage range on that or stronger drivers, you can uh, bring the range up higher. Um, uh, so, so basically, if the work. brightness
0: was a limitation of the amplifier, your chassis wouldn't would get get it brighter. But if the, the exactly. brightness was a limitation of the voltage, the voltage max for that tube, then you shouldn't, even if your chassis could, you shouldn't br- bring it any higher because you know you might just yep. kill the thing immediately. Yep. Awesome. So um, there's still potential then.
1: Yep. And uh, the, the one other thing that I can't fix is that what happens over... Uh, so I have those heaters in there that are the... That heat up the cathodes and then cause them to emit electrons. Um, uh, so very early on in the, in the history of, of CRTs, they they were just metal. And very quickly, people figured out that they could emit way more electrons if they basically put, uh, 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 basically, you know, I don't want to describe them as magic crystals, but effectively, for for all intents and purposes, they have some uh, uh, rare earths that they use to uh, coat the wires with. And uh, by using these special materials, they can vastly increase um, uh, uh, the amount of electrons that come off, but those materials degrade over time as they've been heated up and used, mm. and so there is a process you can use called rejuvenation, um, mm-hmm. which will uh, basically uh, uh, burn off a lot of the, the weak spots, I guess, of that material, and that can also bring back some brightness. Um, that's something the that circuit cannot do. Um, that's something you have to do with a special tool, um, and of course there's only a limited amount of chemical on there, so that is one irreversible process that I, I, I cannot fix. So, it, it, yeah. if, if the if the brightness is limited because of that, it will not become better.
0: So, I've discussed CRT rejuvenators before, and we had a couple of tubes that were like we. Had, it was a few BVMs actually that we got a Sony based, uh, you know, CRT rejuvenator, and you know, it was one of those like. You know, it has brightness issues. Do we try it? Is it going to blow it out? And we did a couple of them just thinking, like, if this kills it, how long would it have really lasted anyway? So we, we did it, and a couple of them ended up looking beautiful, and one of them died. So uh, there is always a chance that you take when, when doing that.
1: Exactly, right? You, you All those little, the, the particles of, uh, uh issue end up blowing off when you're trying to burn off that bad uh, 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 cathode material could end up going over and shorting some other pins mm. um i've had actually like i've rejuved a lot of tubes and i've had um because it's usually like physical bits in there that end up shorting the wires together i've had luck like turning the tube up on its uh face and and like trying to knock the parts out and get them to fall out of the neck um that has worked a couple of times but yeah re- rejuvening is always a kind of a process you do at the end of a life of a tube and it's it's a it's a it's a, a, not a guaranteed fix. You know, there's yeah. there's a reason I don't have a built, the tubes don't have built-in rejuvenators um, because. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, and that's, that's exactly my mindset on this is it, exactly in the situation I just described and that is this thing in a spot where it's probably going to die anyway. All right, let's give this a shot because, you know, we know that this is not something that we could fix any other way. Let's try it. But if you're, if you have a CRT that's, fine and you're just like oh maybe i can get it a little brighter no <laughs> i would not suggest doing that but if it's like oh, i think this thing's dead i'm either gonna you know put the final nail in the coffin or i'm gonna bring it back to get another year out of it or or more if you don't game that often or something that's that's the time i would recommend that so yeah. Yeah. cool
1: i've i've, uh, I've my nec multi-sync that i use for uh, computers and that that turned out really beautifully that one was just uh uh, Based on the very slight amount of burn it has, it's been spent most of its life running a a building HVAC system, and so it had a lot of hours on it. Um, And so that was one thing that, for example, the rejuvenator did really well
0: with. Interesting. That's Um, pretty cool. Yeah, I have um, I have one BVM with, I mean I think seventy thousand hours or something like that, and supposedly had the original tube on it, and it looked it still looks perfect. So I'm wondering if that if that's one of the scenarios in which it counts hours as standby hours, or maybe the tube was on but no signal was being sent to it, so it wasn't firing the gun or anything like that. Because I've also seen tubes with twenty thousand hours on it that look terrible. So I'm always kind of wondering what the you know what the real reason for that might have been.
1: Yeah, I, I uh, unfortunately like a lot of the it's really just hard to observe. These effects, I can definitely say what it was. So I, I still don't have a good co- handle on all of the the, the failure modes and the, the wearout modes and the like. Um, uh, I'm sure someone did at one point, um, and, I, and if I can dig up that knowledge, that would be awesome. But um, uh, yeah, it's a it's been a little bit of an adventure learning about the uh, uh, the concepts of CRT design and the like, because um, no one does it now, <laughs> unsurprisingly. So. Um
0: yeah I mean that's why it's so important that you're doing what you're doing and why I I just appreciate it so much and I I really wanted to talk to you on here it's just cuz you know you're you're the lone wizard here trying to do something that a lot of people Came straight out and said it probably couldn't be done or shouldn't be done. Or I interviewed a year or two ago a person who owns the last CRT factory who makes them for museums and stuff, and they're basically running out of chassis and not sure what to do. So uh, now they have, you know, if they have a, a, a warehouse of tubes somewhere, now they know what to do with them. You know, they'll be able to hopefully help finish your project. And well, maybe I
1: should maybe I should give them a call and give them to the, you know, give them to make custom tubes for my chassis. <laughs> Make new monitors. I don't
0: know. I don't think they had any tubes. Uh, I don't think they make tubes. I think they just had a warehouse of them laying around from you know new yeah, old. I, stock I, 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 I'm things. not
1: aware of anyone who who manufactures uh, tubes anymore. Yeah. Um, I think there are some some companies that do it for very very specific applications like maintaining ancient military hardware, but other than mm. that, um, there's a. Um, uh, on the plus side, there's just a, an enormous glut of like, you know, uh, uh, twenty dollar goodwill TV tubes that are, are really great, Um just need better electronics, and those I'm hoping I can take advantage of.
0: Absolutely. Um, kind of a stupid one is, do you have an audio amplifier mm-hmm. built into this?
1: Nope. Um, it's actually, uh, uh, it's, doesn't even, it's really, really basic. There's no input switcher or anything. It's just a single input. It's like an arcade chassis, basically, in that regard. Um, it does support composite or HV sync, and that's pretty much the limit of its flexibility. Um, to bring it up to more of a TV level for something like an OSD and multiple input switchings and maybe composite decoder and an audio speaker amp, um, I was considering making kind of a separate board that would be an optional add-on where it bas- it had uh, all of the TV-like inputs. Um, so you could either use it as a bare chassis for an arcade application, or if you added on the extra TV features um, because they're pretty much all separate. Um, The input switcher is a separate thing. The OSD is pretty separate. Um, The speaker amplifier is a totally independent just blob of speaker amp that doesn't talk to any rest of it. Um, So that would be just an add on to increase the functionality.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping you were going to say, because there's there's a bunch of open source projects that essentially do stuff like that anyway. So, uh, you know, I I know one of the people working on it would be thrilled to hear that you've got the the harder part done. So, yeah, a companion product for people that basically want to put this in a TV would certainly be pretty cool. Um, And I think there's also a couple of projects out there to convert some models of tubes to vector monitors. But I think... I can't remember if that what state those are in, if they need extra parts or if it just does everything on its own or anything like that. Have you ever messed with vector monitors or, or played around with them? Um,
1: I have, yes. Um, I worked on an asteroids uh, uh, monitor once, um, and I, they basically the design of them is very similar. They have it; they have a separate high voltage because they don't, they can't couple the high voltage into deflection because there is no horizontal deflection in a classic raster sense, mm-hmm. um, and they instead have two. They have the vertical circuit twice, so they have a vertical circuit for vertical and a vertical circuit for horizontal, and uh, uh, they uh, um, they just uh, have windings that are uh, much, much, you know, much lower inductance windings to try to limit that uh, uh, energy burn of the inductance mm. um, because they're using linear amplifiers for both. Um, but still, they get they they're usually limited. You don't see like twenty nine inch vector monitors generally because. The energy dissipation gets enormous really fast. They have to have big heat sinks um, already. And uh,
0: yeah, I the, believe the largest uh, vector monitor I've seen was 19 inches. And I think there's a, the two projects that I'm thinking of said you could convert certain model tubes up to 19 inches to be a color vector monitor, but not anything higher than that. So I never yeah. understood why, but now I, now I totally get it. Yeah.
1: It, it is, you know, it's feasibly possible if you made a chassis with sufficiently high-powered drivers, um, but it gets, it gets, it starts to get impractical, and uh, uh, or at least impractical with reasonable amounts of bandwidth, um, to uh, because these these, these uh, vector models are always always, always limited in what uh, uh, how fast they can move the beam around. Um, hmm. Again, mainly because of this inductance, and so if you draw try draw too many lines. They start getting all rounded off, basically, as you hit the bandwidth limit. Um, okay. Or, um, like, consoles like the Vectrex, for example, um, will... Uh, 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 another thing you'll see is if they draw draw too many lines, it'll take... because They, they drive, draw the lines at a limited speed because of this limited bandwidth, and you'll see it get very, very flickery as they're trying to draw too many lines. And it takes too long to refresh the lines. Hmm. So... Um, by increasing the bandwidth it increases the power dissipation, by increasing the size and increases the power dissipation, it's kind of a, a, a big limitation to vector monitors in general.
0: Interesting. They look cool as hell though.
1: <laughs> yes, they're, they're, they're awesome. Um, if if I, if I could make a, a chassis that also had a vector mode, I would totally would. Um, but unfortunately it is, is a it is basically a, a separate project to make a vector chassis and uh, not something you can adapt an existing yoke to. Mm. Um, just because the 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 difference is too large.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously both of the projects that are existing at, require you to rewind everything. So, and I think yeah. that's the number one factor as to why the projects haven't been bigger than they are. Because you you know you would either need to basically spend a whole day doing that or hire somebody to do it. So not a lot of people are crazy like me and would want a 19 inch color vector monitor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I really wanted to exclude rewinding from an option for this one because also there's a bunch of a uh, really late model like 2000s and later uh, CRT TVs have glued-on yokes, um, mm-hmm. which are really hard to. Like, and they have a, uh, uh, and they also instead of uh, having they got rid of purity rings and convergence rings and instead have just a permanent magnet ring that is permanent magnetized at the factory to have the convergence settings baked in. Um, which is kind of neat except for the fact that it's impossible to adjust afterwards you don't want to move it again because if you move it again you know, it's going to be forever wrong mm. um so so that's why they glue it in, to... it
0: in then right so that no one can exactly yeah it. okay
1: exactly so for those you really really can't rewind them in a uh at least for a, uh in a reasonable way and so it's much much better to reuse the existing yoke that's already been glued in there and calibrated
0: if i can at all and your chassis does support all that stuff so yeah Exactly. Have you tried HD CRTs, the ones that could support up to like 1080i? Nope. Uh,
1: the highest I've run at 31 kilohertz. So I uh, have, uh, it's something I like to try eventually. Um, but I guess my main application is running, still running mostly arcade stuff. So I've mostly been concentrating at 15, and 15, 24, and 31 as the main targets
0: yeah that's i mean that's really the most important by far that was more just a, out of curiosity type of question and maybe that's version three you'll get to a 1080p yeah. you know 120 version or something like that yeah
1: I, I really want my aero city to have 31 kilohertz for example that's a a, a short-term goal
0: absolutely so so just to step back so once this project's complete whether have people have to make their own or sell it uh you basically replace the arcade chassis with this, so arcade people who know how to do all that they're already envisioning it in their head what to do. I'm envisioning doing it myself, messing it up, and calling my friend Jose to fix it for me <laughs> but uh but basically, you know that that's people can envision that um but for things like. I found a tube on the side of the road. I turned it on. The, the tube is very bright. It looks clear, but it's just one of the garbage bargain bin, you know, the lowest model. So you take out, you know, you, you carefully and safely discharge it to, you know, make sure it's unplugged from the wall, discharge the anode cup, and then what do you do? Do you just pull the cup off and then take all the electronics out? and then put yours in its place and you'd obviously just have to snip and solder some wires because a lot of them don't have connectors a lot of them are soldered right to the the chassis themselves but essentially you just took up you know RGBS power and uh, what I mean am I, am I envisioning this correctly or
1: yeah that's basically the process is that you would uh, uh you would uh um, pull off all electronics maybe keep the, the deck board because it has the nice connector on it and you'd, you'd figure out what his pinout is. You'd wire it all up. Um, we took up my, uh, my replacement HV circuit and its anode cap back on. Um, you'd have to power it up. And then probably all of this, if it's just a random tube, all the settings would be wrong. And you'd have to start dialing in. Like, uh, it's, it's very likely that say this might be so far off. You might not see anything. So you'd, right. probably, you'd probably adjust the colors first so you can see something on the screen. Then the sizes will be all wrong. So you can tune in the size. Um, uh, and then, uh, 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 tune in the geometry adjustments and and go from there. Um, one thing I've wanted to do is uh, uh, as part of the tuning process I was considering making the board aware of the physical extent of the monitor as in like what, what parts of the monitor are visible versus invisible like the absolute edges of the screen mm. and then you could do something like an auto set. So looking at the signal coming in you could find the the black edges of the signal, and you could automatically adjust horizontal and vertical to fill the screen. Hmm. So that's a, a one one other feature that's enabled by this that I'd like to try at some point. It's it's a little bit uh, um, it will never be perfect because it, stuff like the horizontal and the vertical actually shifts as the monitor heats up. Um, so you can never uh, perfectly do that,
0: but. It's so that's interesting already. so if you know when we get to the point where the experts have done a bunch of installs they've determined the tube model and you know you could kind of figure out what what on the outside you see like oh Panasonic one two three model TVs have this tube then you could download whatever the file might be plug your computer into this to load it up so it already has a basic profile then do you know it's not it's intermediate level soldering i would call it a little leaning more towards expert just because the whole there's always the possibility of death thing but intermediate level soldering to to get the board wired in and then that's pretty much it do the the very final control tweaking and there's your rgb monitor out of a, a tv that you may have found on the side of the road
1: exactly that's a general process and uh Ideally, you, you do all the soldering, and you put it all together, and then you do the tweaking, and it's two separate steps. So when, once you're at the tweaking stage, it's all put together. You, you're not touching anything at that point.
0: That is so exciting. <laughs> I can't even tell you, because right now, the, the found-on-the-side-of-the-road procedure is basically, you know, open it up, clean it out, and then, you know, make your own cap list, find all the caps on Digikey or Mauser, which that's so boring and it's so time consuming to do that and then you do all that stuff and then you have to find the jungle chip and then you rgb mod that and you end up with something that's awesome but a lot of times the geometry controls on these cheap tvs are terrible so you could be even in a service menu you barely could change a lot of what your board already has implemented right into it so I just think overall, and, you know, they're cheap electronics, they're cheap chips that were on there for all the right reasons. I mean, that's how they got to be cheap CRTs. But th- this is just so amazing because you could take a cheap CRT that has a great tube in it and, and make it an R- a really good RGB monitor, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, very, um, very, very cool. I'm so excited for this. So, um... So at the moment, uh, I, you know, I see you on Twitter and, uh, you have the GitHub page for the project, correct? Yep. Um, that's pretty much all
1: I have right now publicly. Um, the, uh, the GitHub page is actively updated. I, I, I push my changes in there as soon as I do them. Um, I would really like to write better documentation. Uh, basically when I got a lot of interest recently, I did go through and I wrote basic documentation of the circuits. Um, but it really needs a lot more work. Uh, and, uh, I'd really like to go in there and write kind of a more uh, you know, uh, not like essays but uh, almost that level of uh, mm. uh, just my design philosophy and what, what I did that worked and what I did that didn't. Um, and you know eventually you can imagine like a user guide for someone wanting to install one. Um, but uh, right now it's uh, uh, I do want to add a lot of documentation, but it's also just trying to, to clean up the stuff that barely works and the stuff that works well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any specific things that um, other experts might be able to help with? Any other research you need done just for any of the experts listening?
1: Um, so I think uh, 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 there there is some stuff I'm, 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 I'm having problems with. I think the, the, the most difficult one for me right now is the high voltage circuit. Um, it works. Um, it does not regulate itself. So it is basically unregulated. It, it appears like an MS-8 does. Um, so the, the regulation and doing the tuning thread is really hard. Um, if if people are an expert at a, a, a um, high voltage boost converter feedback design, um, that would I, I'd love to talk to you. Um, otherwise, um, uh, one thing that you know is, is useful generally is you can you can generally tell um, if it you know what range a t- tube is going to work on by measuring the inductances of horizontal and vertical yokes. So if if you want to start cataloging in your tubes in terms of uh, what ultimate resolution they can reach um, you can measure the inductance of the yolks and find and figure that out it's <laughs> also a good way like for example if you if you want to calibrate for a new tube that you don't know um, measuring its yolk inductance and then finding some other tube that someone else has used with a similar yolk inductance is a good way to start out with gear parameters that are going to be pretty close because um, that's one of the primary differences in terms of deflection between tubes
0: that yeah that's pretty cool and i know a bunch of people would probably already uh start measuring that now just just for out of curiosity
1: yeah it also works for like chassis swaps by the way um if you uh, measure a tube and it has a inductance similar to a uh especially in a horizontal is the most critical one uh, if it has a horizontal inductance similar to another tube you can usually swap their chassis if everything else fits
0: hmm I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am about this. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to walk to walk us all through it to explain what the project is. Uh, I I promise I will keep everybody in the loop and whenever there's a, a bigger update, uh, you know a, a a big part of the project changing, or of course if there's anything up for sale, you know you could definitely check out RG, retrorgb.com. Uh, I will be the first to jump up and down and, and scream and and yell about this because I just think it's so unbelievably cool that you get to do it. So so just thank you so much for taking the time to do all this for open sourcing it. Uh, I mean, this is this is going to be a game changer when it's finished, big time.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's been a fun project for me to work on as well. And I've learned a lot during doing it. And I will probably continue to learn a lot as I as I work on it in the
0: future. So. <laughs> awesome. So uh, if people want to follow you, is Twitter just the best place at the moment? Um, Twitter is Twitter, probably
1: good. Um, I, I would really like to kind of make a more dedicated documentation, a website for the project eventually. So hopefully that becomes the go-to place.
0: Um, and do you have a discord server or do you plan on at some point? I don't have a
1: discord server right now. Um, uh, you can usually find me on, on there, but, uh, it's not really my primary source of communication for this project.
0: Cool. Gotcha. Well, um, you know, once again, thanks for everything. Thanks for dealing with the the, the, the delay we're, you know, we've had this whole time. I think there's like a three second delay between us for whatever weird reason for the connection. So much appreciated. And, uh, you know, I just I'm such a big fan of this. Uh, so thanks for taking the time. And hopefully we'll be able to do this again at some point in the future and kind of catch up with, with the progress that you've made. All right. Thank you. Yep, thanks very much, and uh, I will leave links to wherever you could find all of your stuff right in the description for people.